cannabis, marijuana, ganja, weed, devil's lettuce. It's now legal in 45 U.S. states in one form or another. Five states just passed new legislation recently. Canada, they legalized for recreational use in 2018. Billions of dollars in tax revenue are being generated. Clearly, the people have spoken. I'm Trevor Collins. This is Times Like Now. My guest today is Paul Stanford. Paul is a pioneer of cannabis and hemp activism going back to the 1980s. He's been instrumental in getting legalization in Oregon and Washington and has traveled the country and the world working with the likes of Willie Nelson and Woody Harrelson towards ending cannabis prohibition. I sat down and spoke with Paul just recently. Thank you, Paul Stanford, for your time and for joining me today. You're welcome, Trevor. Thanks for having me. So starting with your, uh, your long history in hemp and cannabis uh, uh, work, um, starting with the Hemp and Cannabis Foundation. Now, if I'm correct, is that medical, uh, as in medical cannabis? And when did that start? Well, I started the Hemp and Cannabis Foundation, or THCF, in uh, 1999. And uh, I started it as a 501c3, and it was a nonprofit organization. I was already producing a cable access television show. And I had a history of uh, importing hemp and working on marijuana legalization. So when I started THCF, I'd actually already been active for almost 20 years as an activist in cannabis legalization. But in doing my TV show, when medical marijuana became legal, I had a lawyer and a doctor co-hosting the show. Uh, the doctor was Dr. Philip Levesque, and soon thereafter, people started showing up at our TV studio as soon as medical marijuana became legal in Oregon on May 1st of 1999, asking our doctor to help them get their medical marijuana permit. And pretty soon, that became a business. As soon as we opened in Oregon, we had people coming from Washington asking if we could help them get uh, medical marijuana authorizations. And so soon I opened in, uh, in the Seattle area in 2001, and then opened in Hawaii in 2002, and in Colorado in 2003. And altogether, I've worked with about 35 different doctors in 60 different cities in 10 different states and have helped about 270,000 Americans get their medical marijuana permits through that business. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm sorry I'd have to stop you. That is amazing. Amazing. I wish I had uh, an applause that I could give you for that. And that is amazing. Um, so in addition to that organization, you are also um, part of or president of the Campaign for Restoration and Regulation of Hemp. Tell me a little bit about that organization and what you do with that. I started Campaign for the Restoration and Regulation of Hemp in conjunction with trying to legalize marijuana in Oregon. I uh, had begun working with uh, a group of people in Oregon, the Oregon Marijuana Initiative, in 1984 when I moved to Oregon from Washington State, the time I was 24 years old. 
and they were working and we put an initiative on the ballot in 1985 for a vote in 1986 and we lost overwhelmingly the whole federal government came down on us uh, uh nancy reagan toured the state and uh, george h.w bush our george bush senior he uh was the, the vice president and in charge of the office of national drug control policy in the white house and he toured the state for about 14 days as well to uh oppose our our initiative in doing that uh i started to develop legislation to uh regulate the marijuana market and starting in 1987 uh this wording went through over 150 different drafts with input from about 100 different people and we failed to put it on the ballot in the 90s but uh with the the clinics generating significant income I managed to uh put it on the ballot pretty much financing it myself in 2012 and uh that's when the initiative was on the ballot in Washington uh, and in uh, Colorado. So the three initiatives were on the ballot and, and we lost. That's kind of the, the history in a nutshell. Right, right. So cannabis became legal in in Washington state in what year? Uh, it was voted in with 54% of the vote in 2012 in November 2012 and it became effective in uh about a month later and at the same time in in Colorado and that's when when our initiative the one I financed in Oregon lost there was a group of people that financed the one in Washington the drug policy alliance which is whose primary benefactor is George Soros and the Open Society Institute so tell me a little bit about why why has this been your passion and your drive for so long? Well, at an early age, I saw that uh, my cohorts in the early 70s when I was a teenager were, were using cannabis and I used it and I did research and saw that uh, the, the effects of cannabis were far less deleterious than the effects of uh, alcohol. And that and doing more research, I found it was relatively harmless, you know, and uh, there was no conclusive science that it caused uh, major health uh, risks as alcohol and tobacco definitely did. And then um, in learning the history of hemp and cannabis, I was motivated to, to work on legalizing those uh, drugs. I also saw one of my major motivations as well was that the drug laws and cannabis laws were used against progressive activism, especially the uh, anti-war movement. And so uh, it just allowed the police to uh, become corrupt as well. So I was uh, motivated to uh, uh, work with the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws initially. Uh, that is fellow, normal, right? Yeah, normal. And so I was Washington State Normal Coordinator from 1982 to 1984. I wrote a letter and started talking to the folks in Washington, D.C. 
And the fellow who was their executive director, Kevin Zeese, uh, uh, said, would you be the state director? And I said, okay. They sent me a big 16 millimeter reel of the movie Reefer Madness. And so I started, I was an Evergreen State College student at the time. And so I started showing it at UW and Western Washington University and uh, just went around talking about setting up an initiative to, to legalize cannabis. I had uh, met some activists working on an initiative project down in California, uh, which is uh, another story. But uh, uh, that's, that's kind of what motivated me. If by chance anyone listening has never seen nor heard of Reefer Madness, definitely recommend you do your own research on that one. Most recently, you've been involved with a lot of international and national travel uh, before COVID, of course, hitting the road, hitting the air and speaking to organizations and groups, again, spreading the word of cannabis and of, of hemp. Um, tell me a little bit about some of your international travels. Where have you been and what have you been saying? Well, I, I've been speaking at U.S. events going back to the late 80s and the Great Midwest Marijuana Harvest Fest, which was the largest event in the United States back in the late 80s and early 90s, and also worked with the folks at the Seattle Hemp Fest. But after losing that election in 2012, folks that put on an event in Spain called Expo Grow. Uh, invited me to come and be the keynote speaker there, and they flew my wife and I there, and it's right on the the border with France in the Basque country in this town called Irun. Uh, the convention center is literally like 100 yards from, or 100 meters from the French border, and those cannabis laws are more strict in France, so it kind of uh, catered to uh, uh, both French and Spanish audience. And so I, I was keynote speaker there in 2013, and they invited me back in 2014. And then I started getting invitations to speak at events like Expo Weed in Santiago, Chile. Chile has an incredible marijuana legalization movement. In fact, they've had over 200,000 and as many as 450,000 people marching in their annual uh, uh, global cannabis march that happens in early May each year. But uh, those things were curtailed by the pandemic this year, of course. But uh, there's a huge event down there called Expo Weed in Santiago. So I spoke there and I, I spoke at the initial Expo Cannabis in Uruguay, just when cannabis became legal in Uruguay in 2014. I spoke in both of those places in 2014 and 15, and in Buenos Aires at an event called Expo Hayes. I also uh, had an, a real interesting uh, uh, trip to Japan in 2016 to the uh, uh, International Hemp Environmental Forum that was held in Kyoto. And probably the most notable thing about that is that the Japanese prime minister's wife was the keynote speaker there. And uh, the prime minister of Japan, the longest one since uh, the, the World War, uh, was uh, Shinzo Abe. And his wife is Ikie Abe. And so they recently, 
just uh, about two months ago, he stepped down. And uh, he has uh, ulcerative colitis. And in fact, it's not known in Japan, but he uses medical cannabis for his ulcerative colitis. But she spoke at the Environmental Hemp Forum there in Kyoto in 20, June, or actually July 2nd of 2016. It's an honor to be invited to these things, and I, I enjoy travel and culture. And uh, it certainly is an an international uh, an international issue and cause now. And uh, I'm glad to see that you're a part of it, and and that it's making such headway. Speaking of which, five new states in the United States. What are we up to now? Forty five, I think, states have legalized in in one either medical or or decriminalized or at least I know the number is very high. It's almost all the states now are in one way or another uh, legalized. Yeah, we won all five of the elections this November, and in South Dakota, they became the first state that legalized both medical and recreational at the same time, and they rec legalized recreational by. 72%. And in Mississippi, there were two different initiatives on the ballot there, one that the people put on the ballot and one that after the people qualified their initiative, the state legislature put on the ballot in the state of Mississippi. Uh, one was uh, initiative 65 and the other one was 65A. And 65A was much more restrictive. And uh, 65 won with 71% of the vote. And so uh, uh, it's great to see these uh, things happening. In, in some states, they've cheated them off the ballot. In Nebraska, they were on the ballot. But uh, uh, it's another story again. But they, they're going for medical in, in 2022. So time will tell. But it's great to see. And, and there's... You know, all sorts of other states looking toward 2022 as well already, from Florida and Arkansas to Oklahoma and Nebraska, of course. I met a, a person from Arkansas, and he said uh, Arkansas will be last, in his personal opinion. I think he was being offhanded about it, but uh, he, he said it's, it's pretty conservative and, and a difficult issue there to even to bring up. But uh, he says when Arkansas makes that decision, that will be that will be everybody because they will be last, he says. Um, is there any signs of a federal uh, a mandate or a federal um, legislation? Is there anybody writing one? Is there any talk of yeah. one? Well, yeah, the the most exciting one right now, and you know, it's it's the first of December here as we record this uh, of twenty twenty, is the Moore Act, which was drafted by the chair of the House uh, Judiciary Committee, Jared Nadler, and it passed the House Judiciary Committee back in the spring, about 10 months ago. So it's been sitting uh, ready for the legislature, the full House to take up since then. And it's pretty exciting and it would completely decriminalize, I mean, deregulate, deschedule marijuana take it off the schedule of controlled drugs and it would expunge simple possession records as well and so uh, there's strong support in the democratic caucus to do that uh, they said initially they're going to vote on it in september uh, and last week they announced they were going to vote on it this week 
And so just as Mexico, one house of the Mexican bicameral legislature passed marijuana legalization about two weeks ago, it could be that one house of America's bicameral uh, legislature will pass marijuana legalization this week. But there's been some opposition to it in light of the lack of passage of pandemic uh, relief for unemployed workers and and state and and, uh, local governments. So I've seen them postpone this vote before. However, both in Mexico and here in the United States, it's unlikely to be taken up by the other half of the legislature, it being the you know, the Senate here in the United States and the House of Delegates in in Mexico. And so in both cases, the other house seems unlikely to to pick up the ball and run with it. But there's a lot of talk about it being brought up in the next legislative session. In fact, uh, the Senate sponsor of the Moore Act was Kamala Harris. And so... uh, I've heard of her. (laughs) Yeah, she's our our vice president-elect, obviously. And so she has backed Biden's move, saying that, you know, she's just in favor of uh, decriminalization. So I think there's possibility, especially if the two Georgia Senate races that are up for a runoff election in early January, if both of those swing to the Democrats, which seems almost miraculous, but if they both swing to the Democrats, then the Democrats will have 50-50 control, and with Harris as the vice president, then I think it's more likely we'll see some sort of movement on marijuana legalization. As long as the specter of Mitch McConnell continues to control the United States Senate, it's unlikely that uh, he will allow marijuana legalization to move forward. And he said so many times. So he really is. uh, He really is the curmudgeon of the whole thing. The economics are so plain and simple as we've seen every state that's done. This has been, has been generating millions and millions of dollars every, you know, every few months, every quarter. And then one state, three states have been following suit. It's a simple economic issue as well as we were starting to hint about the um, prison system that is overtaxed. Um, it's a, a matter of time, I'm sure. But yes, I, under, I understand McConnell is the blockage. I think marijuana legalization is kind of a, a, a balancing point for the future of freedom as long as they can criminalize something that uh, doesn't harm anyone and you know they basically uh interfering in a a person's right to consciousness really uh then i I fear that this is an issue that the future of freedom may hinge upon especially with the rapid acceleration of artificial intelligence and and technology uh and uh uh, they they say that uh, computers could become sentient and self-improving uh, within 25 years. And I think it's important that uh, we expand individual rights before that happens. And so uh, that's not a lot of time. And uh, uh, 
I think marijuana is an important issue in cognitive freedom and uh, privacy are, are things that need to be expanded, uh, especially with the growing technological uh, capabilities that uh, uh, we continue to innovate. Yeah, the prohibition of of anything has never proven to be uh, long lasting or or positive in the long run. Uh, prohibition of alcohol, for instance, and this is just another one of those situations. And well, this is the the situation, I guess. And I think people um, have become enlightened to this, as we've been and as you were just discussing, to these individual rights and to the. Uh, lack of of real risk or danger of the uh, of the chemicals and of the drug itself. I think people are catching on to that, and we've been seeing the wave uh, come across the United States, and of course Canada. Uh, in what 2018, the whole country went legal. Yeah, exactly. They certainly have, and so uh, they've seen a drop in in marijuana treatments at the same time. And uh, less kids are using cannabis and all the awful things they told us were going to happen turn out to be the exact opposite of the truth. Isn't that always the case? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your public access show, your cannabis common sense. Love the name, by the way. You've been doing this weekly since 1996. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We started in October of 1996 and we've done... over 1,050 shows so far. Uh, it's a weekly show. We interview people. Lately, I've been interviewing some people in Mexico via Skype. We, we Up until the pandemic, we recorded live in a, a pretty advanced studio, uh, public access studio in Portland. Portland has a, a pretty amazing public access system of four studios that are constantly being upgraded. But... Uh, uh, yeah, I've been doing it weekly for, for many years. Almost everybody you can think of in marijuana legal reform has been on the show in uh, one form or another. Where, so, might, uh, uh, where might listeners look up that show? Is it online? Yeah, yeah. We stream it live on uh, Facebook, and then we back it up on YouTube. And so... The live stream is at 8 p.m. on Friday nights, and that is at facebook.com slash restore hemp. So slash restore hemp. And then the, the archive, which doesn't get that many hits these days, but has a small but loyal audience, is uh, youtube.com slash cannabis common sense. Pretty easy to remember. It's all spelled out, lowercase, no spaces. Uh, youtube.com slash cannabis common sense. Once again, uh, Paul Stanford, the cannabis man of many talents and uh, Mr. Cannabis himself. I do really appreciate you being here. Is there any other website where people might be able to find you to find where you're at and what you're doing and how people might get involved with the organizations, maybe in their own state? Sure. The best uh, site is crrh.org. I've actually had that one as a web domain since the early 90s. One more time. crrh.org. And so I I started putting hemp news out on 
Usenet news groups in the late 80s, before there was even a, a web browser out there, which was like that happened in 94. And uh, in the about 1998, our website went through a, a, a redesign and we won just tons of web design awards back then for that site, crrh.org. Then our medical clinics, it's easiest to access them through thc-foundation.org. That's thc-foundation.org. And personally, I I uh, am found at D. Paul Stanford, just D as in dog, but Paul, P-A-U-L, Stanford, like the university, no relation. And so you can find that uh, on Facebook and you, uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram, all those various social media. I, I And as my email address as well. In all of your travels, Paul, you've got to meet some of the uh, some of the big names. That is the Willie Nelsons, the Snoop Dogs, the Cheeches, the Chongs. Is that correct? I have. Yeah, you know, I was honored to meet Willie Nelson back in 1990. This fellow in Kentucky introduced him to me, and so I got to hang out with Willie a little bit back in 1990, and then in uh, 20. 11, I started helping him and his group that tours with him uh, get medical marijuana authorizations. And I was their grower, actually, under Oregon's medical marijuana law from 2011 till they made that illegal. The legislature of Oregon changed the law, so you had to be a resident uh, to do that. The Supreme Court had ruled that you didn't have to be a resident about 10 years before that, but the legislature changed that. So I couldn't be a grower for Willie anymore at that point. But I've also met and hung out a bit with uh, Woody Harrelson. And I was with Woody Harrelson on June 1st of 1996 when he planted six hemp seeds in Lee County, Kentucky. And uh, eventually he was acquitted at his second trial after it was appealed the first conviction. And uh, uh, it, it was quite a splash at the time when Woody Harrelson planted those seeds. And, yeah, I think I yeah, remember I've got that. I met a lot of different folks over the years. Uh, I met this fellow named Jack Herrer down in, in 1982 in Los Angeles. And we both moved to Oregon to work on the Oregon Marijuana Initiative in 1994. I mean, excuse me, 1984. You know you're getting old when you get the wrong decade. Jack Herrer, that's a that's a, a famous name in in these circles. That's true. He he wrote a pretty famous book called "The Emperor Wears No Clothes" about the history of hemp, and I had uh, uh, helped him with that. I'm in the dedication, and so a lot of these other names uh, as well. So. I really do appreciate your time and your input and your cannabis warrior activism. You're one of the greats around here, and I am glad and honored to be able to talk with you today. Well, you're very welcome, Trevor. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to my interview with Paul Stanford. Music is produced by J. Cody Robertson. I'm Trevor Collins. Be sure to look for more episodes wherever you get your podcasts at times like now. I'll be talking with you next time.